Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Drop Dead Fred. Dead Fred, Elizabeth, played by Phoebe Cates, has recently lost her husband, her car, and her job. While staying with her mother, Elizabeth discovers an old jack-in-the-box toy that unleashes her imaginary friend, Drop Dead Fred, played by Rick Mayall. Fred was an instigating, troublemaking influence, and now he's back with that same attitude to help Elizabeth deal with all of her adult problems. Screenplay by Carlos Davis and Anthony Finkelton, directed by Ate De Jong, and released on May 24th, 1991. I know that we've both seen this movie before. Yes. You've talked about it, uh, that you have. I think this definitely qualifies for the fun, unique, and diverse films of this year <laughs> category. Yeah. I think all three. I will say that when I watched this previously, it was when I was a kid, and I hated it. Oh, okay. See, I, I liked it. <laughs> you loved it back then, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I did not like it then. What, you just... What did you not like? Some of the same stuff that I don't like about it now. I wanted it to be funny, and I don't think it's really all that funny. There's a couple jokes here and there, but I rarely laughed or felt the, you know... Like, it's situationally interesting, but it's just not funny. Okay, It's yeah. clever, but not funny. Okay, yeah, I get that. Um, I think it was a little bit too adult for me, maybe? I, I mean, this... Okay, so... This is a very polarizing movie. And I made you listen to the How to Disc Get Made episode on this, because it's that episode is probably their best episode I've ever heard out of all their episodes. Maybe, except for maybe Love on a Leash. I don't know. <laughs> we just watched. But, sure. um, so what team are you? I'm barely Team Fred. Like, I'm straddling the line. Okay. So, okay. I think a lot of the points, and I don't really want this to become like a review of their podcast. Yeah, I know, right? but <laughs> like, that's what I just wanted to know because whenever I think of Drop Dead Fred, I now just think of that podcast. Yeah, Team Fred versus Team Sanity. Yeah, is, so are the two sides, and Team Fred meaning you are on the side of this movie is good, and you know there's this deep philosophical meaning behind the piece, yes. and then Team Sanity is you hate it. And you think that um, you're on the side. The filmmakers really dropped the ball on this thing, right? But also, like Team Fred is like Drop Dead Fred is not really her imaginary friend. It's just like an extension of her. I think Maybe it's. Kate's. I think it's both is the thing. So, 
obviously she is physically doing the things that we see Fred do. Yeah. Right? It's part of her mentality. But there is a world of imaginary friends, and I don't think you can get around that. I, I think there's definitely that scene in the child psychiatrist office where you have multiple imaginary friends mm-hmm. all in the clump and they can see each other. Elizabeth cannot see anybody except for drop dead Fred. And so they are kind of doled out to different children who are experiencing different types of trauma. And yeah. then maybe Fred's dealing with multiple people at the same time. And we just never see that, but he does transfer to another kid at the end. Yes. So, and Elizabeth cannot see him once he's transferred to another kid. So, uh, you know, I think it's a combination. Like, it's it's a real, <laughs> a real imaginary friend. Um, but which one you get depends on what type of trauma you went through. Okay. But, yeah, okay. So, when I watched this when I was younger, I did think it was like silly funny but watching it now I get the deep philosophical meaning behind it like and then I was thinking like this movie is like beyond its years like it's yeah an adult movie but they marketed it as like a kids movie because of like this silly guy yeah and I think that's probably where it went wrong for me as a kid. I was expecting the more silly, goofy stuff. I was expecting... Okay. It, it's weird that I didn't like it more, in a way, because, you know, I collected Garbage Pail Kids as a kid. I still collect Garbage Pail Kids cards. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, has that type of gross-out humor in some circumstances. It's, you know, it's... It's in-your-face for you know the eight to ten year old range type of thing you know it's like the mad balls it's the garbage pail kids it's it, you know it's gross out humor mm-hmm. uh, where you have like mud pies and dog poo and snot faces said every other word and, and whatnot yeah. and you even had that one part where he gets his head caught in the fridge and he pulls it out and his head is all stretched out like a live action garbage pail kid character so i don't know maybe i just thought i was trying too hard Maybe I didn't connect with Rick Mayall as as Fred back then, and I wanted somebody who I knew, like a Robin Williams or something like that. Yeah, Robin Williams turned this down to do Hook. Yeah, I wonder how serious that offer was, because it sounded like the writers had Rick Mayall in mind from the start as well. From what I read... And so the producers probably just tried to get Robin Williams. Yeah, I think when... I, I may be wrong. From what I read, it's like when Rick Mayall was on that, he kind of wanted to bring his type of comedy to the U.S. because, you know, he was, like, big in the U.K. Yeah. With the young ones. And, I mean, that's how... Maybe that's also why I like... Because I liked the young ones when I was in my teens. Oh, I never saw it. It used to be on, like, Comedy Central, like, late at night or something. Uh-huh. And I liked that show and then I knew him from it and I was like oh Drop Dead Fred's in that and maybe and then I I mean Drop Dead Fred was always on like cable so I was like okay I like him I like the young one so I get it I get that UK it's like UK humor that he was trying to bring over but I mean yeah but this isn't super this dry. isn't really 
I think he was just trying to bring a name for himself. Yeah, he was definitely trying to promote himself, which is not a problem at all. I, I just, um, I don't know. Maybe it, it's weird to think that a 10-year-old me would be concerned about star power. But I think subconsciously yeah, you maybe I was are. like, who, I didn't, yeah, watching this, I didn't know who he was. But when later on, when I was watching the young ones, I was like, oh, that's drafted Fred. Yeah, I mean, if you're being introduced to a comedian for the very first time and he doesn't make you laugh a whole lot, then you're like, oh, this guy sucks as a comedian. And I don't know. <laughs> that, that was my impression back then. Oh, okay. Watching him now, I love his performance. Yeah. He is amazing in this. I think Phoebe Cates is amazing in this. Yeah. Um, I think... I mean, she does good... Like, she did very good, like, slapstick... Like, the some, restaurant some, scene. Yes, I don't yes. know. Just like that... The restaurant scene is some of the best physical comedy we've seen on this podcast so far. Yeah. Um, and I... A lot of this, I forgot. I mean, the two things that bothered me... Where one when they kiss at the end, yeah, and then the second one that's not explained well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess I get it. It's like she now accepts herself, but it's like, why do you gotta? It was kind of like, oh well, like Drop Dead Fred says, well, you know, you gotta kiss me, and she's like, yeah. It's like right. she knew the rules, but what were the rules? Yes. To like get rid of. Your imaginary, well, like, yeah, to some, move on, I guess, to be happy. There, yeah, there seem to be some inconsistencies as to what makes Fred appear and win. Um, and also, yeah. Well, the, the, he appears when she's going through, she was going through, like, a mental breakdown. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, no, I understand that. I mean, but after he's been unleashed again. Oh, when he comes and goes throughout her day. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, like, what is causing her to see him when she visits Carrie Fisher's office. You know? Like, that, that type of thing. Yeah, Other than she'll, to yeah, she'll promote be like, comedy. Okay. She's probably, like, repressing those feelings, and then it's like something is triggering her, and she's like, oh, there we go again. Yeah, but if the but mom is supposed to be the main trigger, why it's is he also appearing so much like, when the mom is not present? It's like the mom and her husband. It's like her losing her job and like all these things that are bad happening in her life. Yeah, but... Again, I think that's that's the main reason as to why he was able to kind of get unleashed from the Jack in the Box in the first place. Mm -hmm. But from scene to scene, it doesn't seem like there's any real motivation for him to just suddenly appear. You know, there's nothing that's said to her. There's nothing that's done to her to make Drop Dead Fred come in the middle of the night while she's staying in the houseboat and cut off all her hair. You know, Carrie Fisher didn't really say much to her other than, okay, you can stay here. I don't like the idea, but okay, sure, you're my friend. I'll let you do it. Mm -hmm. That should be a comforting thing, but instead it's something that... Like her hair. I mean, she's you know, going through... There's a yes. There's a, a lot, lot of, of stuff in her life where she doesn't know where to. She doesn't want to stay at her mom. She can't go back to her apartment. I, she I feels like she's that. a burden to her friend. So and then, but the other thing that bothered me is when she sneezes and he goes like all, all over the place, like the whole gladiolas. That doesn't bother me because it's just but you know. It's I a, was like, why though? 
know, just to have another little goofy thing like in there. Goofy. I thought, when I was younger, I remembered the sneezing part, but I thought the sneezing, because he's like, oh no, don't sneeze. Like, that hurts him in some way. But, um, why? I don't know. <laughs> Because when I, I, when I re-remembered the sneezing part, I thought this, her sneezing, like, made him go away. Oh. And he was like, oh, no, no, like, you're going to sneeze, like, the gladiolas. And I was like, oh, that means something. I thought that meant he was going to go away. But no, it's just when he starts bouncing around and stuff. No, it's just one of his quirks as a whatever entity you might call <laughs> him. I, I don't have a the... problem with that other than, like, the not so great visual effects side of it i mean the yeah the visual effects are kind of like the effects of what was in nightmare on elm street freddy's dead when what's his face was bouncing around yeah yeah very similar like in the video game yeah it was that type of but i mean yes oh yeah brick and meyer um but yeah, I didn't have a problem with that existing. I think it's just an interesting quirk to it. I, I I don't know. I think part of the issue is that yes, a lot of the subject matter is more adult oriented, and it's tough to know where to place it. Like how to how do you market this? How do you? I don't know. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I think. How do you present this to, material? And I don't, I don't think they think... always presented the material properly either. Yeah, I know to yeah to market this. I mean, it is a very adult like black comedy, and it's also kind of reminding me of. There's a couple other movies it reminds me of. One was *Malignant*. Sure. Yeah, *Malignant*. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that's just a horror. (laughs) Yeah. The other one was *Death*. *Malignant* was funnier than this, though. Malignant was great. <laughs> Malignant <laughs> I mean, once was you get to this. the once you get to like the reveal, it's like fun. I don't, to yeah. me, it was fun. Yeah. But um, the other movie is Death to Smoochie. Did you ever see that? A long time ago, and I remember not liking that either. Oh, see, I I loved that, <laughs> that movie. but that that's like uh that's a an adult like black comedy. That's like child themed. The, yeah, I think the the big issue is that it's it's adult themes with too much kid humor, so it's tougher to play to the adults most of the time. Yeah, and it's too adult in theme to cater to the kids that is trying to cater to it. So it's kind of this weird delicate balance where you need to be in this right mindset or know what you're getting into going in before you can actually get into this and and I think part of the problem is that they really don't present some of these situations very well let's talk about the mother a little bit because I mean I was triggered I mean I wish they would have done some of okay it's clear that the mother is the big reason for drop dead Fred existing in the first place it's Whenever she becomes, she's okay. She's psychologically traumatizing to her daughter. Yeah, she's emo. She's emotionally abusive. Yes, emotionally, to, verbally abusive. Yes, to Phoebe Cates or Elizabeth. And and it's like 
a lot of the things, like, even, like, near the end, she, you know, she was like, you were the, like, blaming Elizabeth, you were the reason your father left. Like, saying that to your child is, like, so fucking mean. But I think we needed more of that. Her being meaner? At the beginning. Because, like, the, the, the earlier scenes with her and the You just mother, see, like, a frustrated mom, like, ugh, I gotta clean up after my shitty child. Yes. For, but it's like... Yes, you see, you see the child as as the shitty one, and yeah, the mom is doing some needling language, but, like, most of the, the garbage stuff that she says to her kid, most of it, not all of it, is when Phoebe Cates is Older. an adult. So, yeah. like, you know, that first scene when she returns back home... And she's just walking up to the room and talking about, oh, don't walk in this room with the carpet. Yeah, she's talking to her as if she's, like, five years old again. And I made up this room for you, and and Phoebe and Liz is like, thanks. And thanks what? Thank you, mother. You know, like, that type of, like, little exchange, that back and forth. Yeah, like, mommy dearest level. Yeah, like, don't forget to treat me with the proper amount of respect. Um, You know, drill sergeant style, in a sense. Like, there wasn't a lot of that when it was mom versus kid version it was more hey i want you to behave and not destroy our house and break our shit and i'm going to clean up all this stuff mm-hmm. there were some scenes where she's like yeah the, you, you know you're a terror piece of sh-. you know she does say some stuff but i don't think enough of that happened early on to really establish that okay it makes sense that she's really she's the this way yeah it really only came to light more and more as the movie goes on and very much so at the end with that last little bit of uh, interaction. Yeah, and then them. she's like, where are you going to really go? Like, like I'm going to be all alone. Like, that's so emotionally, like, abusive. And, you know, and then that's when Elizabeth has finally come to herself. She's become, you know, comfortable with herself. Uh-huh. And she stands up for herself. And she's like, Mom, go get a friend. Yeah. But, I mean... It's, it's not that Elizabeth was a victim of divorce because Fred is still there while the father's still there. And the father's also shitty. Yeah, he kind of like... Because he's refusing to discipline the child in any sort of way. Yeah, he kind of like... he's doing some... They show really him... Do, when she's doing some really bad shit. Yeah, coddling her when... I mean, I understand how frustrating it is. I mean, they... It's, Elizabeth was saying how, like, her and her mo- her father were just always fighting. I mean, that is a trauma in itself. When you grow up and you see just your parents fighting all the time. Oh, yeah. Just I'm, I'm yelling sure. back and forth. Like, they, they, she's, like, in a loveless... She sees this loveless marriage. Even I mean, when you're five years old, you know. But, I mean, but, they don't show that a whole lot either. Like, you know, they have... There's, like, really two main scenes with the mom The mom yelling at the dad. Well, not even yelling. There's one where they think there's burglars in the house because Fred and Elizabeth are playing robbers. And so they are going around ransacking their own house and breaking windows and stuff like that. And the mom and the, the dad are upstairs on the phone with the cops and the mom's, like, over his ear. But he doesn't like, you know. Yeah, he's she's like, yeah, just yeah, like yeah. controlling, I, I, like tell him his, tell him this, tell him that. Yeah, but he doesn't like snap back at her in any way. Well, he's probably just like. He's like, yeah, yeah, I got it. Like I'm doing it, and, and so like that part's fine. And then there's the part with like the mud pie scene where the dad's like, oh, you know, let her be a kid, 
and then she does like this massive mud pie mess on the the table of like actual mud and like juice and tea and everything spilled on top of this thing and cereal all over the floor and then the mom's like hey you've got to help me discipline your child and he's like no i'm not having any part of this and then he walks out the door and just leaves you know what i mean so there's like there's not enough like actual tension shown between them to the two of them you just hear about it secondhand in like some offhand dialogue mm. and so i wish that some of that was more i don't know shown yeah i, I, I think it would help to maybe, establish yeah. the rules more if they were to show these actual events and the cause and effect yeah of because yeah, like her growing up. Like, yeah. why was Fred there at that dinner table scene? Like, why did the you know why did the mud pie happen? Because the mom wasn't being a quote unquote mega bitch at that moment. So why did Fred appear to even start the mud pie? She was just cutting Elizabeth's hair, and I mm -hmm. think she maybe said like some offhand remark. I don't remember exactly what, but whatever. The fact that I don't remember what was said to cause it is, is a problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah, her yeah, her father is, like, very... Like, she's just growing up in a... Basically a one-parent household, even before yeah. he leaves. But we also don't see a whole lot of, like, the father and Elizabeth playing together. So it's not like Fred is a complete replacement for the father. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's the part that's kind of difficult as, as an adult watching this, that maybe I was... I don't know. I, I can't imagine I latched onto that as a kid, but... It's... It, like, so, I mean, that scene also just... cues the mom to be like, you know what, I'm fed up with this... Stop talking about Drop Dead Fred. And then... Well, during that scene that's when elizabeth tells fred like oh let's hide and he hides in that jack-in-the-box yeah and, and the, mom. the mom is like oh he's hiding in here i'm gonna tape this up and that's what i mean that's super triggering to elizabeth as a five-year-old girl yeah and then she basically starts to grow up and takes things more well, seriously like like her feelings are like so suppressed like she's just like a shell of herself she can't be herself yeah, anymore it's, it's... she's like okay i guess i'm just gonna i don't know just be quiet and deal with this shit i'm like she just saw her father leave for forever yeah it's and then her mom things. is yeah, like the, getting the, rid the two of male like, figures in her life are gone yeah, are like, gone the, the i mean moment. and just at that point but the, wouldn't the mom like if you want to get rid of drop dead fred why would you keep that jack-in-the-box in the house yeah i don't know wouldn't you like fully want to get rid of it if you're just like i'm like toss it in the garbage yeah yeah i don't know but i mean she does just i mean she just grows up to be like she's still kind of like this little meek like she's like this shy um i don't want to say I know. she just she's doesn't not have shy. a way to take she doesn't she's just like not very assertive yeah yeah she's not assertive she's kind of just like repressed and she still dresses as if she's a little girl she's got like very long like 
matronly looking dresses and then even she wears those like night shirts to go to sleep and that's her life and then she marries this guy Charles and you know they were married for what three years three years almost and you know He's he pure womanizer yes and I don't know like 10 20 years older than her something like that too yeah which uh, their relation their relationship was not believable to me which part? The fact that she would choose him or that she would have any desire to stay with him? Or yeah, like she, like she was, you know, when she was so heartbroken when he left in the beginning. But I was like, this fucking guy? But I mean, that's yeah, probably I mean, the first guy that like showed her any sort of attention and, you know. I think that's the implication. But again, it's something that the movie doesn't really yeah, I know. address properly. Which, I mean, yeah, he's probably, like, the only guy that's ever showed her any sort of attention. And, you know, they got married. I mean, this is, I'm just, like, assuming. Like, they got married. Because she's, what? I mean, it says 21 years later. I'm assuming she's, like, 26, 27. Yeah, probably. And they got married. She probably got married, like, right out of college or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, we we don't even know how they met because she's obvi- obviously like younger than him. And uh, is and he driving a, lawyer? a much worse? No, he's a car salesman. Oh yeah, he works at oh, a yeah. Jaguar dealership. Because yeah, she's some, I was driving thinking, around that beater that gets stolen. Okay, yeah. Because then I thought, you know, when she goes and vis- visits her friend Carrie Fisher, who's Janie, I thought he was there for some reason but I guess not or whatever yeah he's a car salesman but the whole scene where she gets him back just by meeting at that wine tasting event thing Mm -hmm. which I mean that party was weird (laughs) And by gets him back, you mean, like, gets back together with him. Yeah, they get back together because she's wearing, like, this revealing dress. She's got makeup on, and he's like, whoa, like, you're a woman or whatever. Like, she's being assertive, and then he's like, okay, I, I like this side of you. It's, okay, so Fred is there, he thinks, to help get Charles back. Yeah. Because that's what... Elizabeth thinks that she wants. Because when Fred Fred is like, I want you to be happy and you want Charles to be happy, so let's make you happy and then I will leave. Right. And um, I I think one of the other things that's interesting about that scene is that it really calls to mind the difference in appearance between these. So like everyone in that whole scene is dressed in black tie and including... Annabella, who's Bridget Fonda, who's Bridget Fonda, an uncredited cameo there, um, and then you have Elizabeth in this purple dress, bright yeah. purple dress, and you have Fred, who's always in green, and I think is the only one you ever see in green, just to kind of like accentuate him mm-hmm. outside of things. I mean, more. no one sees him. Yeah, but I mean, just in terms of camera and appearance, and you know, 
He's always very noticeable with his red hair and his green green, green outfit. And yeah. I think the decision to color him that way and make sure that no one else looked anything close to how he did was a yeah. very smart one. And then, yeah, they bring Elizabeth in here as like a nice little complimenting purple color there. Um, but yeah, it's not a matter of revenge. It's to try to show, hey, look, I'm growing up and take me back. Yeah. And I mean, that whole party was a weird party. It was like some eyes wide shut looking thing. <laughs> it was just like an art and wine party. But it was thing. like the guys walking around with togas. And then, I mean, this is a funny part when um, Fred or Phoebe, if you want to. Yeah. Like, pulls down, like, the wine, the, the waiter. Takes the grape off of the shoulder, which was actually, like, a load-bearing grape, I guess. And, made his <laughs> and whole then toga his, his whole toga fell, and he's completely naked under it. Yeah. And, um, I mean, that made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing was, like, they have these women walking around with these spit buckets. I was like, this is a really gross party. <laughs> But it is a wine tasting. I've, just, I've to been get... to wine tastings, but not a party like this. I mean, at an actual, like, winery. But this is just, like, people walking around with spit buckets. And I was like, ugh. But, yeah, that's what whatever. I don't even know what this was for. Was this, like, a charity thing? Or it was I, just a party? I don't know. But, yeah, Charles, Charles is there. She's trying to get him back she you know she's got makeup on her hair is cut and she's wearing this nice dress that she found and you know it's like her trying to be assertive to get Charles back and she does and that's when they try to live together and she's like all over him now and he's like very surprised by this side of Elizabeth yeah, he's just trying to take advantage of whatever he's been given for as long yeah. as it lasts, basically. I think that's really all it is. Because even when they're breaking up, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go live with Annabella and this was your idea. Like, he's obviously very emotionally manipulative as well. Oh, when yeah, first yeah, yeah. Him, it's like, and, and she's yeah, like, wait, he's like it was? Yeah, he's gaslighting her. He's like, oh, this, this is my idea? It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is your idea for me to go live with Annabella. And it's like, oh, Annabella's her name? And like, yeah, it's that kind of interaction at the very beginning. But he's also saying, oh, well, it doesn't mean we can't see each other still, too. Like, you know, like, we're going to be, you're you're going to want to see me again, so we're going to see each other again. That's why I was like, this fucking guy. Yeah. I'm like, he's not even that good looking or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, he's asshole. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, and, and, yeah, Tim Matheson plays the asshole a lot, too. But um, we'll see him a couple more times in 1991. Sometimes they come back, and also the woman who sinned. But I think he's probably best. But I think she also house. has like, like what I said before. Like he's probably the only guy that's ever you know showed her any. I don't want to say affection because he's he's like a dick, like any attention I guess. Right. And she's just like kind of codependent, and she doesn't want to be alone. She's like, I'm going to do what you want is be more like freeing and flirtatious or whatever to get you to love me and stay with me. Right. Still. Yeah, that, that's 
yeah, there's there's a lot of psychological stuff that the movie could go into if it wanted to, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't because I mean he is an older man. Maybe it is. I don't know. You could get into the whole father relationship side of things too. Yeah, because right? so, she her father left when she was young. So like it's a mix between emotional and physical support. Yeah, and then meanwhile, throughout this movie, she bumps into like an old friend of hers, Mickey Bunce. That's after yeah. That's like right after she loses her job. So yeah, she loses her boyfriend slash husband and then like she calls her friend and her car gets stolen and then she has to run back to her job because she's on her lunch hour and she yeah gets she says like fired from her job as a course i got fired my husband divorced me and my car was stolen and then yeah the judge is like all within the hour yeah. like being condescending and she's like yeah and then he fires well, i guess i mean he fires her for being late but mm-hmm. All right, I get it. I mean, whatever. He's late. She's late for a hearing or whatever, or a trial. I have no idea what's going on Yeah. at that time. I mean, she is... They do have court-appointed court reporters for judges. And he fires her, like, right in front of everyone. And then I was thinking, I'm like... Well, then who's going to be the court reporter? <laughs> That's what I was like. Just make her finish the job? But <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't help with movie plot. But yes, <laughs> in realistic terms, you should and, probably... And then she's... Yeah, she runs into him. And he said that he's there because he recently divorced. And she's like, oh, I hate divorce. Yeah, I hate that word. But... Yeah, it's this I mean, guy it's Mickey obvious. who knew her as yeah. a kid. It's and obvious that he's he's had like he had a crush on her when she was young, and then it's like he always had this feelings for her, and then it like reignited when they bumped into each other again. Yeah, for him. Yeah. Um, and then he reminds her of Drop Dead Fred in general. You know, like, it's just oh, like I, all this stuff that you did to my grandma, and it's like remember all these things that you did, and she's like, oh, I can't. And they just show, you know, her throwing paint at his grandma, which I think that's that. Yeah, that was a good joke, cool. and the grape thing was a good joke. I, I, yeah, a lot of the stuff was like Fred himself. I loved the performance, but I just didn't find it funny. Just maybe I don't know, duplicitous to say, but I, that's how I felt. But yeah, I think that is sort of the jogging of the memory that she needed before yeah, going to her like mother's house. Yeah, it's like she suppressed it. She suppressed all these memories for like 20 years. Yeah. And then I was thinking, well, okay, so when they do go to, when she, I mean, we can talk about the, the restaurant scene is like my favorite, I guess. Because that's just, that whole thing is so silly to me. Yeah, they have they have lunch at a fancy restaurant inside it's a mall. It's like a mall. Uh, Mickey, Mickey fart Mickey pants Mickey. and her. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's not face and Mickey fart pants. Um, are having dinner. And they're kind lunch. of like he's just charmed by her behavior, even though it's like over the top. I think he's just trying to explain it away. In a sense, it's like, oh, I love how carefree you are. Yeah. And he's like, she's throwing plates but of she food literally across says, the room. Yeah. <clears throat> he's like, why did you just do that? And she's yeah. just like, oh, I'm crazy. Yeah. Like, he knows. 
but he, he's he's trying to find whatever positive spin he possibly can. Mm-hmm. But then he's like, okay, I'll be like you. And he throws right. the spaghetti. And he gets in trouble more than her. Yeah. Yeah, because in the beginning, she's like spilling that just water, I guess. And then the waiter comes by and they're like, oh, these wobbly tables. Like as if it was. Not just spilling the water, breaking the glass. Yeah. But and then, yeah, she throws her food. She throws her food, and, like, no one says anything, but when he throws his spaghetti, the whole place goes up in an uproar, and he get, they both get kicked out, but he mostly gets, like, dragged out. Yeah. And, yeah. And <clears throat> he goes back in but for like a dress right, that she left, left behind. Yeah, she goes, he has, because that's right when she bought that dress. And... This oh the uh, this other scene but that's when like her mom, well because then she goes up the stairs to like this area where there's like. A performance being had. Yeah, there's like in classical the music the mall, or something like that being played. Where people are just sitting quietly in this, lobby of a mall, mm-hmm. and they're like sh- shushing her, and that's because she's talking to Fred. Yeah, but. Talking to herself. And everyone's just looking at her and shushing her, and then she's quiet. But that's when she sees Fred, like, as one of the violin players. But she's... And she starts hitting the violin players. And that's when she calls her mom. So it's like this codependency. It's like she only has Janie or her mom to go to. Yeah. And then her poor... Like, she, she like automatically has to go to her child psychiatrist like immediately like that day because that same day is when mickey is like in the trees <laughs> trying to give her her dress back yeah yeah basically i want to take a step back really quickly though just for the um i, I think what makes that restaurant scene effective is something that the movie should have done more and same kind type of complaint that we have with Earth Angel, where you physically are seeing Fred do a lot of this stuff mm-hmm. that we know no one else can see. Mm-hmm. So it's not as effective for us as the audience because we can see Fred just pick up a plate and like throw it. Yeah. Right. But in the restaurant scene, they don't show him as much. They show like it's like a back and forth type of a shot where you see him, you know, fighting with Elizabeth uh, on the plate and then you have another shot of just her fighting with herself yeah there needs to be more scenes like that in the movie where she gets to show off her physical comedy where you get to kind of see like her you know struggling to control things yeah let's see the other people's perspective and it doesn't happen all that much it's basically like this scene and like maybe one other i can't remember the one where she's talking just right after where she's talking to herself when the classical music is playing and that's just her talking to somebody like talking to air yeah so yeah like so it's the same type of thing like with earth angel we wanted more scenes where the onion ring was dancing by itself yeah yeah. i want more scenes where she's like she's struggling with herself you know like trying to put on a brave face while she's like struggling with to not pour the glass yeah, into her yeah, lap. Yeah. You know, that needed to happen more. I think that would have helped the comedy a lot more too. Um do you want to talk about if Fred is actually helpful in any way? 
Do you think he, he was, was helpful? Okay, in any when way? so we didn't talk about this when she spends the night at Janie's houseboat thing. Oh yeah. She thinks she sees Charles in a boat, and then she takes Janie's houseboat and starts following. And that's she when she steals like, the houseboat from its location, basically. And yeah. starts chasing the speedboat. Because in she's this like in a rig. daze. I know. I'm just trying to explain to the yeah. audience who doesn't necessarily have the visuals. And it ends up sinking. But later on in the movie, Janie is like. Like she gets the insurance money or whatever from the houseboat, and she's so happy that she's got. She didn't say how much money, but she's like, Look at all those zeros. Like she got a million dollars. She's like, Thank you for. Sink in my boat. Uh-huh. I don't count that. Okay. <laughs> For a couple reasons. But first, I really liked Fred's pirate outfit. <laughs> I like that his outfit changes to suit whatever mischief and adventures yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're going on. Um, I don't think it counts because Elizabeth had no idea about the insurance value. Had no, you know. Oh, so you want there, something that he knowingly... Yes. Wanted. Fred did not sink that boat to help Janie. He was just... It Fred was for her Elizabeth own... Elizabeth wrecked the boat because they're in a manic episode. They're on some sort of like anxiety attack. Whatever the technical term for it is. They're literally breaking stuff and like letting water come into the boat. To follow So they some can make guy the boat go faster like... to chase after the guy. Yeah, the guy that she thinks is Charles. There is no subconscious thought between Elizabeth or Fred to say, "Oh, well if we sink this boat, then yeah, I guess Janie will lose all of her possessions, but she'll have a lot of money later on maybe." Like no neither one of them would have had any idea of that. So, yes, it inadvertently helped. I also don't like that Janie Kind of didn't care about the house sinking when she, you know, crashes work. Elizabeth crashes Janie's work and says, your your house sunk. Fred did it. <laughs> and I mean, Janie's, like, Janie's just being a good friend. But it's your home. And I know, I would be pissed off if a friend did yes. it, like, burned our house down. I'd be like, you're fucking out of my life for, for exactly. life. Exactly, and instead she's <laughs> but, like, I mean, oh, she's just well, being... where's your imaginary friend? Let me beat him up for you. Yeah, but she's just being understand. She's being a good friend to Elizabeth. I think it's too far. Too understanding. Too far. <laughs> and immediately goes into playing along with this whole Fred thing when... That but she's been, just trying to be, like, point. apathetic to her. Just like, okay, you have this imaginary friend. I'm going to go with it because you're my friend and I love you. So, I don't know. And then, she, I mean, that's a funny part because it's like you see Janie being the, quote, crazy one. Because everyone comes out from her job or whatever conference she was in comes out and they see her like slapping air and like stomping and yeah, she like, thinks the- she thinks she's she has Fred and nobody will tell her otherwise, including Elizabeth who was forced to nod her head yes by Fred, but could still use her words at any point to stop it and chooses not to. Because I think she's just like, I'll let this happen. <laughs> right, but for no reason. Uh, okay. So yeah, like a lot of the stuff that Fred makes Liz do is really bad. It's not just playful mischief. It's not like simple little pranks. Like, okay, shaving the cat, that's like the closest thing I would say is like a... A A prank. A harmless prank. Yeah. But throwing paint on somebody, 
putting dog shit on the carpet and the house, breaking things to make the cops come into your house. Like none of these are harmless little I mean things. She's she's being she is I a mean, very kids big terror and destructive person. Stuff like this. I'm sure they have. But you can't chalk it up to the kids being kids. I think I mean this is also during the time where I mean this is like this we're is... not we're not being like diagnosed armchair diagnosing people or whatever but this is like during the time you know where like kids were like it was becoming to the point where like kids were starting to take like Ritalin and stuff Yeah Yeah there might have been some little bit of the commentary on that with the green pills maybe Yeah but don't you think it was warranted for Liz to have some sort of treatment? Do you think she should have been? See, this is where I'm like straddling yeah, the line. Yeah, I mean, right? like, that's where, I mean, the mom, I don't know when like the, the mom. mom see, like a, that's what I'm saying. Like the mom seemed very understanding considering the amount of destruction and terror that her own daughter was causing for the early part of the movie. Yeah, she should have been of like, her are you were okay? very understandable. Like, my, my child is doing, like, off-the-wall shit all the time. Like, I should take her somewhere. Yeah. But she was? I mean, when they take her to that child psychologist, I don't know when she started seeing it, but she was seeing him as a kid because... Her mom's like, I'm going to take you back to Dr. So-and-so. Yeah, I forgot his name his already. Name. Yeah. I, I didn't write it down either. And she's like, oh, him. Like, so she's seen that psychologist before. Growing up. Yeah, and I, I think maybe part of... She maybe had the green pills back then, too. And it kind of just coincided with him being trapped into the Jack and Box and whatnot. I think maybe part of this is, was part of my problem as a kid as well. Because I was not this type of destructive kid. I was kind of a goody two-shoes. Well, and sense. then you have like movies like Problem Child. Yeah, which, I mean, we haven't seen that for this. and I, I don't remember if I saw... I've seen it, and it's like one. the same type of... Like, he does fucked up shit, too. Right, or like Dennis Like, ruining people's lives. Yeah, you always have someone like that. And, like, it's tough for me to root for that type of behavior. I think if... <sighs> I think with this movie, it's like there's a reason why she's doing this. Yeah, there's a reason for it. And I think... Uh, yeah. Fred is not... He takes it too far to the extreme. All the stuff that he does to be like, hey, let's act out and, like, let's get attention. It's too far out there. Mm-hmm. That it's tough to sympathize with Elizabeth at times. Or be like, oh, well, that's just a childhood mischief thing. It's like, no, you broke windows. You smashed things. You stole things. You had the cops come to the thing. Like, you... But you see like, her, you like, feeling bad stuff. at that point. After that whole But she also thing. knows that all that stuff is wrong at the time, you'd think. But she's like, okay, I'll just do it because, yeah, this is fun. Right. Like, she wants to have fun. But she takes fun to, like, the nth level. Yeah. And <laughs> but that's, I feel that's like never been my mindset, it's like her, so it's tough for me it's to... It's her mom is probably just like, oh, you gotta be a good girl and, like, do whatever I say. And it's probably, like, anything that she does is wrong. So then she's like, okay, well, I want to have fun, so I'm just gonna lash the fuck out. 
Yeah, and, and that's my thing. Is like Fred is supposed to be there to help her, and he is not helping her. He is getting her. He into wants her to more, be happy. He's getting her into more and more trouble. It's it's a cycle. It's okay. Fred wants her to be happy, so it's a temporary high. It's it's almost like yeah. you know. So he goes through this thing, and then that just makes things worse. Whatever he does is making her life worse. There's no way that him being there is doing anything more than destructing other people's stuff or lives or emotions and it's just making it so that he needs to be there more he's he is a problem that's my point um i think if like at the very end when he is almost dead because she has been taking the pills and he's fading and you know his colors are fading and everything too when like she sneezes and he sees that Charles is still cheating because he's on the phone with Annabella while they're together and supposed to be making a romantic dinner and everything like that's when he actually grows up and actually helps her legitimately mm-hmm. you know he's like hey no like look in the room yeah and that's her realizing oh this is not gonna happen Right. And she, but that's when she passes out, and that's when she goes into that, like, dream sequence. Yes. But I'm saying, like, from that point on, that's the only time that Fred is actually helpful, helpful in any way. And that's, like, right before to, he's it's, gone. It's, like, a realization to herself, like, oh, this is never going to happen with Charles. And Which is right before he is gone for good. And so she, on the very last pill, Mm-hmm. that's when he actually helps. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't have to take that last pill anymore. She realizes, like, oh, yeah. I'm just not going to be with Charles, and I'm okay with that, and I'm happy with myself. Yeah, and, and I think I would have <laughs> liked the movie more if like, if it focused on, okay, just normal childhood whimsy. Right? Like, there's nothing Mm. wrong with having a playful child side to you. Like, that's what this movie is trying to say is this has been taken away from her. She no longer has this sense of wonder, this sense of adventure, this sense of, you know, imagination. That's all gone. And Fred brings it back. But the problem is he's also a menace and a public terror through her. And destructive and destroying houses and destroying lives. So I think if if, if there's a better balance or it wasn't so, I don't know, it wasn't malicious intent, but it was malicious results, I think the movie would have been more effective. And she just doesn't realize it? Because she's like, oh, like once it's yeah, happened, she's, she's like, oblivious oh. Yeah, she's oblivious of it. And well, she, she's takes... like, she realize, realizes how bad it is, and then she's like, oh. But I'm she sorry. also never takes ownership she always still just blames fred which i understand in terms of the movie Mm -hmm. because she does see her and fred as two separate entities but no one ever holds her accountable for that stuff it's so yeah it's this weird little delicate balance of that thing and i just wish i wish there was a different path to get her to say oh yeah i can be a child i can have this you know i can have fun i can you know be playful again. I don't mm-hmm. have to have everything be so serious in my life. I can, you know, also be assertive. I think there might have been a different path to that. Um, I also wish there were more scenes like what we saw in that little fantasy zone near the end, 
where she falls into Fred, and now we're in this Beetlejuice house, I guess is really yeah. the best way to <laughs> describe it. <laughs> Yeah, they they fly into this model house, which is decorated very much... Kind of like her house growing up. Yeah. But it has, I don't know, a little bit of like Salvador Dali type of a Yeah, like look MC to Escher A little bit type. of Escher. Um, so, and she confronts her actual, or has a conversation with her actual little girl self. Yeah. I think that's fine. Until the whole kiss happens. Yeah, that's <laughs> a problem. And then I guess there was another thing was when Mickey was in the trees trying to deliver the dress to her. Yeah, Mickey's like Mickey is the conduit to say, "Hey, it's okay to be playful and everything." Like he, he yeah, he's, but he's trying to show her that like, yeah, it's okay. I'm accepting too. of this, and but she isn't ready to understand that yet. Mm-hmm. She needs to have that epiphany within herself first before she can realize, oh, yeah, okay, Mickey is the type of person I'm looking for who will accept and, and deal with this stuff. Um, and then we see that it's Mickey's daughter that has dropped dead Fred now. And they play, uh, again, what's supposed to be portrayed as a harmless prank on the babysitter is stringing her up from the tree mm-hmm. upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And then, you know, Elizabeth realizes, like, oh. It's like, oh, I remember he's with you? Being, yeah. I remember Say hi to him like, for me. Yeah. yeah, but I remember this, and I miss this part of my childhood, and, or whatever. So it's a, it's a fascinating movie. I think it's one that has a lot more depth than you would ever assume from the surface of this thing. Uh, I, I don't think we've even covered everything that we could cover with it, to be honest with you. But... No, I mean, never. we never really talked about the other imaginary friends. Yeah, you got Go to Hell Herman, you got Velcro Head, you got Craggy, and you got Nanny Pamby. And, but their scene is very short. Yeah, I'm, but I did like that scene. I did too, I like the different characters. I like the, you know, the different styles and, and yeah, yeah. you got Velcro head's head exploding and then you can stick body parts on different parts of his head. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of yeah. wanted to see more of that. Yeah. It was a nice little creative thing. I And, and I think, it, like I said, it would be great if there was more stuff like that. It's kind of like... The house at the end. Yeah. Maybe bring us into this world where you see these different... Yeah. Other... Like, like, does he... Com- yeah. Him cavorting with other, quote, imaginary friends. Like, kind of just like when you watch Big Mouth. Right. Or... Like, or Beetlejuice like, in the afterlife type of a thing. Like, yeah. show like a scene where they're all just, you know, in their other world Yeah, together. the other world. Uh, uh, yeah, I would have liked to see... Because they all knew each other. They're like, oh, and then they do this dance together. Yeah. And then they do this, oh, let's be sick together or whatever, and they're, like, fake throwing up. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked to seen, like, oh, what's that all about? And one of the kids had a Game Boy in the waiting room, so we have another Game Boy sighting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what game. Probably Tetris. Uh, and I think, yeah, like, Rick Mayhall really... Everyone did. I think I liked... I even... I liked... Carrie Fisher, I forgot she was in this movie, and she <laughs> plays, like, 
She's pretty much like that same character, like the sidekick friend, like, you know, and when Harry met Sally. Yeah, yeah, she is very much that same type of and thing. And I, I really like, and then the another funny part is just when she finds out that she's getting all this money, she's like jogging, but she's also smoking a cigarette. <laughs> right. She's like, I need my endorphins. I mean, that's hilarious. <laughs> I mean, Carrie Fisher, I'm sure she punched up her own stuff. She's notorious for having uncredited screenwriting roles. And yeah, she probably punched up her own stuff because she's a fantastic writer in her own right. She, yeah. Um, Most notably, Postcards from the Edge, which got turned into a major motion picture like the year before this. So... Yeah, a lot of a lot of good performances. I liked Mickey's character as well. I kind of wish we would have found a way to see more of Mickey. Yeah, you know, get him. It, it might have been tough to wedge him into more scenes, but you know, I don't know. And obviously, the mother is played by four-time Oscar nominee Martha Mason. So Marsha Mason. I'm sorry. Yeah, Marsha Mason. So I've never seen any of those four movies that she was nominated for. Three of them were for Neil Simon productions which she was married to neil simon for a while uh, and then the fourth one C- cinderella liberty the other three were goodbye girl chapter two and only when i laugh also nominated for a guest emmy spot on fraser so um yeah a really good cast but i think this made me a fan of rick mayall and i want to see more of his stuff because i've never seen the young ones i've never seen bottom or any of the, you know, that that's like a comedy duo production thing that ran for a little mm-hmm. bit on TV and then had a bunch of specials and live performances for decade plus afterwards. Uh, stuff like The New Statesman. So I, I know he's going to be in a couple more 1991 movies. We got The Little Noises and Princess and the Goblin. He'll be in those. So, um, but he's unfortunately passed away the same year as Robin Williams. Uh, passed away in 2014. But he is an Emmy winner for Best Voiceover Performance in The Willows in Winter. So, uh, Talk about some other cast and crew. We got good direction from Ate De Jong, who also did the 1991 movie Highway to Hell. Most of his other movies are Dutch productions. Um, so I'm not very familiar with most of his work, but we'll see another one of his movies this year. And I guess there was some trivia about how the producers saw Highway to Hell and hired him for this job, which is kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they saw like a. They must have seen like a screen. rough cut because Highway to Hell released after this movie was released, but it filmed in 1989. I, I went through and looked it uh, up. So it was filmed in 1989. They probably saw some sort of a rough cut and like, oh, I like where this is headed. Let's bring him in to this quirky. Yeah. Quirky comedy thing. And he did a great job with it. Um, for the writers we got Carlos Davis and Anthony Fingleton they also have done Hurricane Heist and that's almost just about it Carlos Davis also did the 1982 TV movie Secret Adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn so 10 year gap and then like another 10 plus year gap between Hurricane Heist Anthony Fingleton also uh, did a movie called uh, Swimming Upstream which is basically an autobiography movie he was almost an Olympic swimmer. He actually turned down going to the 1964 Summer Olympics to go to Harvard, where he then got into screenwriting and stuff like that from, from there. But he won a silver medal in the 1962 Empire Games, 
and apparently he had something of a tumultuous relationship with his father in the street in the swimming world and wrote and helped with the, the movie swimming upstream about his own life phoebe cates played elizabeth best known for fast times at richmond high gremlins and gremlins 2 but she's also in the shag bright light bright lights big city 1994's Princess Caribou was almost her last role, but she did appear in the 2001 movie Anniversary Party, and now that's it. She has retired from acting and spends her time uh, with her husband, Kevin Klein. So, uh, who else have we talked about here? Marsha Mason, we already talked about her for um, Oscar nominations. She was also in the 1991 show Sibs around the same time. Have we talked about Sibs? Yeah, we, we have, talked right? about Sibs. There's so many shows that have the same that names. That are about siblings. Yeah. So she was on that show at this time. <laughs> but she's still acting here and there. She's also done some spots on The Middle. And then also Grace and Frankie. Tim Matheson, we already talked about it. We'll see him pretty soon. Carrie Fisher. Um, we'll see her one more time in Soap Dish. And then uh, we got... I want to mention Ash- Ashley Peldon as young Elizabeth, who did a great job. Yeah. Another great young actress there. Uh, she is in the 1991 movie Deceived. She had a, a, a nice chunk of episodes on Guiding Light for a while. She was in The Crucible. Uh, and now mostly just does voiceover and ADR work, specializing in screams, from what I saw. <laughs> okay. Different types, of, different types of screams. Uh, but also does like additional voices on dozens and dozens of productions. The dad, Nigel, will see him again in the 1991 movie Eyes of Witness. He was played by Daniel Garol, if I'm pronouncing that right. He was also in Chariots of Fire and Big Business, but not a whole lot else. Ron Eldard played Mickey Bunce, which I called Mickey Fart Pants because that's what Dr. Fred called him. He's been in things like Deep Impact, Black Hawk Down, Ghost Ship, and ER for, I think, like a season, season and a half or something like that. Yeah, I remember him as a paramedic. Yeah. And he was in a, rela- a relationship with juliana margley's for like 12 13 years and they probably met on the set of er or was that before maybe before, and, it and looks that's like how he got the job on er maybe maybe they, it says they were dated from 1991 oh to well, 2003 so before he Definitely was even before on ER. er yeah uh and then yeah most of the people who played the other imaginary friends were not in much of anything else if anything this is the only credit for Namby Pamby. Which actress, I thought they were other weird. comedians, like other British comedians. That's what I would have assumed too, but they're not. Um, I think the one that had the most credits is this guy named Peter Breitmeier, who was Go to Hell Herman. He was in things like Jingle All the Way. He's been in The Middle as well. He was in Fantastic Beasts and also some episodes of the Fargo TV series. Um, somewhat recognizable TV actor, character actor, but I don't think he's British either, so... That's about all we got for cast and crew. There's no awards at all. Um, I need to fix our website because the box office information I had was incorrect. For some reason, I had it as making $43.88 million, but it did not. It only made 13.8, but it still made twice its budget. But it was like in the top 30. That's the wrong part. Oh. Because it was, it was based off of a wrong number. I don't know okay. where I got the 43.88. Like, it's really high. It was actually... The readjusted number is number 84. Oh, okay. So I was, was like, whoa, this is like top 30 movie. I know. I had it I had it as uh, one spot below Thelma and Louise, which released on the exact same day. 
this was a stacked day. We had Thelma and Louise, Backdraft, Only the Lonely, Hudson Hawk, a video movie called Truth, and then Wild Horses Can't Be Broken, all on the same day. This performed the worst. But it mm -hmm. still made double its budget of like $7 million, so... I mean, everyone's gonna go see like Thelma and Louise or Backdraft. Which are two movies I've never seen. <laughs> but I had seen Huds and Hawk and Drop Dead Fred, so that tells you what our family's priorities were like, right? <laughs> so I'm just saying, who, when someone's going to the movies, I'm going to see Thelma and Louise. I will say that we rented both Huds and Hawk and Drop Dead Fred. We did not go to see any of I these in the movie. Yeah, theater. I didn't see any of those in the theaters because I mean I didn't see this in the th I didn't see this until maybe I wasn't I was a little bit older. It was on cable. I was probably like thirteen or something. Well, that might have affected your ability. Cause yeah, I would I saw it, you know, when I was like eleven, you know, virtually right when it yeah. came out. So different mentality, obviously, like different parent dynamics. <laughs> so yeah. Um, I needed to grow up a bit more before I could appreciate Yeah, you had to, like, two to three years. Like, middle school into high school. Yeah, going through some of those middle school changes would have definitely affected the yeah. way you approach that movie. True kind of pop culture. Yeah, just a few things. I mean, we sort of talked about was that Robin Williams was offered the role, but it was turned down. And then... It was also offered to Tim Burton to direct, and he also turned it down. And then they also were going to make a sequel, and Jim Carrey was going to be Drop Dead Fred, but I'm kind of glad that didn't happen, because I don't really... I don't want to see Jim Carrey as that, I don't know. He would have been too rubber-faced. Yeah, I mean, I just want to see him as Ace Ventura. I don't want to see him as, like, Drop Dead Fred. That's the thing, like, Rick Mayhall really knows how to stretch his face and everything, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's rubber bandy. Does that mm. make sense? I don't yeah, know. yeah, I get it. It's just, I, I wouldn't even know what the sequel would be about. Yeah, I don't because know either. if you have Jim Carrey, like... Is Drop Dead Fred the son of Dro like Rick Mayall or something? Or would you? It's just like now another. Have the, uh, just the, another young kid who's going through something. Or Mickey's daughter is now grown up and you just kind of go fast forward in time. Yeah. And do a similar thing there. Yeah, and then just other casting stuff. When Winona Ryder was offered the role. Phoebe Cates role, but she also turned that down. I think Phoebe Cates' like she was innocence perfect. vibe is needed for this. She was just perfect for this. And then she, Phoebe Cates won the part over Julia Roberts and Jennifer Connelly. Huh. Jennifer Connelly I could see. Yeah. Julia Roberts is too. She's like I mean, at this point, she was making more serious, like, uh, quote, adult movies. Yeah. I guess after, like, Pretty Woman. Even though she did, like, Tinkerbell. Yeah. She was in Hook. I mean, that was, I mean, she was just getting her career started. I mean, yeah, after, yeah, after 
pretty woman, it's like her career skyrocketed. And then, you know, single white female. Not single white female. <laughs> single white female. I always think about... <laughs> Sleeping with the enemy. Sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> just also that popularity of those movies just made her more of like into serious adult roles. Yeah, it has a different mentality to it. I don't know. I think you need someone with like the more like the girl next door vibe and Julia Roberts doesn't really have that vibe all that much. No. So. And then also the film was filmed in Minneapolis and a large part of it was in Prince's Paisley Paisley Park Studios and it was rumored that Prince was visiting the set all the time. I wonder if he ever This is like the only one that wasn't a Prince production that was filmed there, right? That, that's also yeah. part of the trivia. Um Man, I wonder if he ever considered doing something like a Tyler Perry, you know, like... Prince? Yeah, like, branching out into, you know, let's have a film division for other companies and do this. Oh, at Paisley Park? Like, you can film here. Yeah. You know, Tyler Perry built this entire complex studio in Georgia. I wonder if Prince ever started Productions. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe this soured him on the idea. I'm like, no, I'll just do my own projects instead. Yeah, I don't know. Those were just a few th- things that I saw that were interesting, I guess. And then also there's like other articles that I can give you just about... There's blogs written by people about how this movie is just very underrated. And then it's all like philosophical blogs about mental health and your mental breakdown which I thought were there's two of them that I read that were interesting but I'm not gonna like read them now because they're kind of long yeah but I'll just give them to you we can put on the website this I think again one of the things that's problematic about the movie is I think it forces the audience to do most of that heavy lifting yeah it, it makes you think when this shouldn't be a movie that should make you think because they're like oh i'm i want to see a silly movie but whoa this is like a deep meaning and it's and it's a beneficial but also detrimental thing at the same time because i would want the movie to reconfirm that yes what i'm thinking about is valid and intended and i don't think it does that like a lot of the deep stuff is just implied or something that we are bringing meaning into it's not i don't know there, there's less there's not enough in the movie to indicate that yep all these deep thoughts that you're thinking about this movie yeah we meant to do that mm. there's not enough of that in the movie we're all assuming the filmmakers intentions as being more deep than they possibly were okay so just I'm not going to give anything about TV because I think I already shared that. And we'll have 20 movies so they're doing yeah. this on the same day. So I'm going to go straight to the billboard. These are going to be... These are songs that debuted 
for the week of May 25th, 1991. And there are seven okay. debut songs, I think. I think last time there was like eight or nine that I talked about. I don't remember anymore. So this week, starting off with number... Number 78, the song Nights Like This from the group After Seven. And this is an R&B song, but it came from the movie The Five Heartbeats. Oh, okay. So I think The Five Heartbeats, that movie... It's on our list. Yeah, it's on our list. But it, it was probably released like maybe the week before or something, earlier in May. And now that song, it's like a very doo-woppy, you know, song because mm-hmm. of that. And then moving down to number 87, this debut song from Yo-Yo featuring Ice Cube, You Can't Play With Yo-Yo. Do you remember this song? Not really, no. Oh, I I mean, I like this song. <laughs> A lot of the songs that were debuted this week, I was like, oh, I like this song. So Yo-Yo, she was like one of Ice Cube's protégés. And they, like, collaborated a lot. And then just another thing is that she was... She's also in Boys in the Hood. Okay. And she dated Tupac for some time. And she was with Tupac in the hospital shortly before he died. She was also... uh, Do you remember... Do you ever watch Martin? Yeah. Okay. Do you know Shanene? His... Mm Mm-hmm. She played... The best friend of Shanene. Okay. I thought that was cute and funny. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, she's in a lot of other movies. She was in Menace to Society and Sister Act 2. To number 88. This another R&B, R&B song. The song is called Kissing You by Keith Washington. He... I mean... This song probably played at a grocery store, but I've just never heard of it. And, but I, he also, like, later on in 1991, he did a duet with Kylie Minogue. And that song is called If You Were With Me Now. And I like, I listened to this song after Kissing You. I listened to If You Were With Me Now, and I like that. So that's a good duet. And I was like, that's interesting that, like, Kylie Minogue, because this guy's, he's just like a R&B vocalist from Detroit. And, you know, you know she's from, really? she's yeah, she's yeah. Australian. But the this song, Kissing You, was used as background music for the soap opera General Hospital, which... Oh. I've never I know someone who watches it and I could ask like hey do you know the song <laughs> but Kissing You was nominated for a Grammy for best R&B vocal performance for male performance and it won the 1992 Soul Train Music Award for best R&B soul single hmm. so moving on to Didn't number I have a lot of staying power then yeah, I just, I didn't hear it. Never heard that song. But I, it's just like a, you know, an adult contemporary song that yeah. was probably playing at grocery stores. Um, number 90 is Where the Streets Have No Name by the Pet Shop Boys. 
and it's also you know where the streets have no name and then in parentheses I can't take my eyes off of you and it's just like a rendition of you know U2's where the streets have no name but then also mixing in I can't take my eyes off of you and so that was number 90 number 91 is a song called I'll Be There by The Escape Club and just by reading that I was like what is this and who are they but The Escape Club they're an English pop rock band that formed in London in 1983 and their best known song is that Wild Wild West song okay that was in and that was a that was number one U.S. hit in 1988, and "I'll Be There" was like their second top single. Which this is more of like a sad ballad, like the lyrics are sad. And I I know this song because I definitely heard this while I was working at the grocery store. It's just like. I'm dead now, but if you think of me, I'll be there. Mm. That was like one of the lyrics. I was like, wow, this is deep. <laughs> and I'm like, this is making me sad. Just like listening to that one lyric. Number 92, this debut single I've never heard of, and I've never heard of this guy. The song is called Ooh La La, and by the singer, by the name of David Halliday, but he is born David Michael Benjamin Smet, and he is a French singer, songwriter, songwriter, and also an amateur sports car racer. Hmm. And he had a few, like he had a lot of studio albums, but probably mainly in France. And this was on his second album called Rock and Heart. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <laughs> this song reached number 51 on the Hot 100 at some point but yeah and then I also learned that he is the first cousin of actor Michael Bartan alright <laughs> I, I've never heard of the guy and I was like okay this took me on a journey just looking up his past <laughs> And the last song, the last single that debuted this week was number 90, at number 94, was the song Someone by the Rembrandts. And I think we talked about this song before, because when I listened to it again, I was like, oh, I know this, because I think I've heard it before. Yeah, it could be. We definitely talked about the Rembrandts Rembrandts Yeah, Probably was that one. And it's just like a very slow, ballady song, which... I mean, they didn't become famous until, you know, friends. Mm-hmm. So I thought of one other thing that we didn't talk about really quickly that I want to mention is the opening credits. Oh, okay. Because we need more opening credits like those. Oh, yeah, like children's drawings and yeah. then... Just animated anything. Like, why can't we... Closing credits are having a good heyday now. Especially with Marvel films. Yeah, have a good opening credit scene yeah. that hypes you up to see a movie. Yeah, and like has something to do with it, but is unique and different and interesting. So yeah, this has a bunch of different paper cutouts and crayon drawing animations. And yeah, and then 
purposely misspelling words mm-hmm. like like as if a child wrote it yeah i miss those days they those don't exist too much anymore so that's another thing this movie does right so on to rankings and ratings with that in mind where on your one to five star scale are you going to put drop dead fred um okay this is gonna be controversial uh-huh i mean i'm gonna give this a three okay i think it's controversial for being team fred all the way yes i i can't give it the same reason <laughs> for don't tell mom the babysitter's dead like i gave that a three this is good it sounds like you need to adjust all of these to fours retroactively change them to fours i can't be well because i this movie cannot be then i would have to move don't tell mom the babysitter's dead to a five and this would be a four <laughs> it can't just be a higher four versus a lower four uh, i mean when i on my list i'll show like yeah. what of my threes are better yeah i mean between this movie and don't tell mom the babysitter's dead i mean don't tell mom the babysitter's dead is like one of my favorites and this is not okay as good as <laughs> i mean oh like between this and well what did i even say like and you thought your parents were weird oh and hook 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 i gave a three i think yeah that's the same reason like i can't go above don't tell mom the babysitter's dead <laughs> so it's not an all-time favorite in that respect i mean i'm just like a I'm Team Fred, and still I like I still like this movie. I haven't seen this movie in like twenty five years, and I remember liking it when I was younger, and I still like it now. Yeah, but it's not high. Not it's high I'm not gonna give this a five because okay. I don't. <laughs> this is like <laughs> I don't know how to how I base my uh, star ratings. I, yeah, like well, this yeah. is not as good on the same level as only yesterday. <laughs> It's, it's kind of malleable, right? Yeah, it's it's a difficult thing, and I think that's what makes. I mean, the movie the is very, very yeah. important. So yeah. Um, on my zero to four star scale, I'm gonna give it a. Boy, this is tough for me too. I kind of want to give it a three, but I'm gonna give it a two and a half. Um. Just be. I think. I think the main reason why is that it should be funnier than I thought it was. I think it has a lot of things that are going right with it, but there's just I don't know. It could have been better. There could have been I don't know better script tightness to really drive home some of these points that it seemed like the movie was trying to get across and that we eventually got there through conversations and talking about it but um it's not on the surface enough i'm gonna say two and a half but every movie is worth watching once would you watch it again i think we are both gonna say yes yes yeah, absolutely yeah. i would watch. i would like to see this in the theater as well like a midnight showing with like other like-minded people that like this <laughs> <laughs> like this movie and then there could be certain parts it would be fun i think i'd be interested to see other projects from this same world wasn't there something about a potential tv show that was thought about as well a drop dead fred yeah i have no i don't 
think so. I don't know. Um, maybe that was in the works at some point, but um, I don't know. It, but yes, I would watch this again just because I think there is a, quite a lot of depth, whether it's intentional or not, it's there. And the acting is fantastic. The whole package put in together as a whole isn't the best, but it's, it's good enough for me. Uh, if you out there want to watch Drop Dead Fred as of this recording in August 2022, it's available on digital rental, VHS, or DVD, so always check your local listings. You can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. Let us know what team you're on. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're pushing the family fantasy stuff aside and it's time for the adults to have their turn. We're going to do a whole month of USA Up All Night movies starting with Virgin High. That's available on Tubi and VHS only. We will see you then.